This podcast is sponsored by Orange Pinafore, the most convenient meal delivery service in town. Simply sign up for 13 groats a week and Orange Pinafore will deliver the ingredients for a range of delicious meals straight to your door, including lambas bread. Ugh, why do elves have such tedious food? Worm sandwiches, xenomorph eggs, weasel tongue. Ooh, I assure you, that is delicious. Maggot cheese, roasted peacock and marmite-flavoured ice cream. Delicious. Mm. All the tabletop role-playing news. We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse. And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ, and with me this week is... Peach Coffee from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ, as ever, I am completely delighted to be here, here to talk about some fantastic RPG news. But wait, we have guests. Guests? I know! Um, there we have uh, the man who has written everything to do with Dungeons & Dragons, uh, well, not everything to do with it, but I believe over three editions and has, some might say, more role-playing games than, <laughs> more role-playing games uh, that he's written than other people actually own. It's Owen Casey Stevens. Hello. Hello, Owen. Hi, folks. Thanks for having me on. And yeah. not just Owen. We've got a second guest this week. Double bubble. This I know. Bubble. It's amazing. Yeah. And we have Stephen Glicker from the Roll for Combat podcast, who has done... Um, well, you know what? I, I'm afraid I just can't count that high. How many episodes have you done, Stephen? Yeah, we're up to episode 202 for the Roll for Combat two. podcast. So, oh, 202. Yeah. It's a lot of it's yeah. a lot of role playing. So if you wanna if you wanna listen to, we've have four different games. We actually mm. finished Dead Sons and we finished yep. the Fall of Plague Stone, and now we have started. Awesome. We have something new called Tales from the Black Lodge which is uh, Pathfinder Society with a twist, and then we also have Extinction Curse, which is the circus one. Yeah. Everyone knows the circus one. So. <laughs> I, I'm supposed to be playing in the circus one, so I can't listen to your podcast for that bit for spoilers, but I'll certainly try and hit up the rest. Yeah, so, uh, and maybe at some point later in the podcast, you could give us um, details about how you would uh, run a game online. That's right. That's all we do is run games online. So this is... Uh, <laughs> This is, uh, uh, everyone has caught up. It took 10 years, but everyone now is doing what we've been doing for 10 plus years. Tell you what, at the moment with this pandemic going on, I'm looking at the news that we're going to be covering this week, and there isn't a lot of it there. And the news that is there isn't good news. Right, so one piece of bad news is that game distributors are closing down operations, largely due to the fact that um, game stores themselves are closing down operations. In fact, uh, Diamond, which is a comic book distributor and uh, has the same ownership as the Alliance distributor, which is one of the primary uh, US-based tabletop gaming distributors, um, actually announced and sent out a letter uh, just just this week uh, saying that they are, for the moment, uh, delaying payments to publishers because they themselves are not receiving anything in from the stores. So there's a yep. whole chain going on there, uh, you know, store, distributor, publisher, freelancer. And, this, and the pain is kind of being passed along that chain as, as the pandemic affects various, uh, various tiers of it. Um, so that... That is not good news for anyone in the industry. 
No, that's that's terrible, terrible news. I mean, uh, especially for companies that do a lot of print books. And here I'm thinking of Paizo and, and like Green Ronin. Um, they've got money tied up in print runs, right? They've got they've got print runs of things that they want to have shipping that are supposed to show up at Alliance or Diamond, uh, that there may not be anyone there to receive. They've got things that Alliance and Diamond have already sold that they're not going to get paid for, at least for the moment. And their overhead does not stop. So uh, if you're in a position where you can help us keep the game industry alive, uh, and I know not everyone is, but if you are, I, I encourage you to go to greenronin.com go to buyzo.com or, or go to drive through uh, and buy digital products because the physical stuff just isn't shipping right now and the, the companies are going to be in trouble if they don't have cash flow. I'd just like to add a note for our, for myself as well uh, at EN Publishing. We literally just shipped a, a shipment of Judge Dread books over to the US just like in the last few weeks. So yeah. we're in exactly the same position. So if you could head over to enpublishingrpg.com which is where our store is you can buy pdfs there or you can also because we've got a warehouse here in the in in the uk we can actually ship things we're still shipping we can actually ship directly from our own warehouse out to customers especially those over here in the uk as opposed to the us which is a little more difficult but uh, yeah cross-atlantic shipping is just incredibly expensive yeah yeah and and russ do you even know where that box of books you shipped to alliance is at the moment nope (laughs) so that's clear that's, that's the other problem that, that game companies are <laughs> running into. If there's no one at the warehouse to receive the shipping, we, we literally don't know where those books are or what's going to happen to them. Mm. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We don't know how long this pandemic is going to last or what the long-term effects will be, but hopefully, hopefully we'll all get through this okay. Yes. So, yes. another bit of bad news is uh, TSR's Brian Bloom mm-hmm. passed away last friday so he was uh one of the original partners of tsr it was due to uh, an investment uh, of only about two thousand dollars i think of his back in back in 1974 that enabled uh, tsr to present the first 1000 copies of dnd so he goes back that far so he's one of the original business partners um, of the company, uh, he also played the wizard Rary, who you who you know is uh, mentioned repeatedly throughout the throughout the spell section of uh, of D anD. d the creator of Vecna. Oh, uh, and while there was later, there was there was a kind of fallout between Gygax and the Bloom family, and then the Lorraine Williams stuff, and all this sort of stuff. But you know, this is an obituary. So uh, he passed away March twenty seventh. That was last Friday at the Lakeland Nursing Home in Elkhorn, WI. WI being Wisconsin, 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 yeah. not Americans, yeah. Wisconsin, uh, from Lewy body dementia and Parkinson's disease. Uh, Bit of sad news there. Uh, this and is it, just uh, all depressing news. Do you have any good news here? Uh, well, <laughs> not, not really. Uh, let's have a look. What else is there? Um, oh, we have a look at the Warhammer 40k Wrath and Glory book. Exciting. This is good news. Yes, so, if only we could get our hands on it. <laughs> well, cubicle, yeah, cubicle 7 are nearing, nearing the end. The, uh, the the PDF is due out soon. I think Dom said a couple of weeks ago on our podcast that it's within weeks, uh-huh. if I recall correctly. And they have shared some interior pictures of of the book, so you can get an idea of what the layout's going to look like. Uh, you can you can see that if you pop over onto my website, it's the top news item at the moment. If you want to have a quick peek at them, 
Uh-huh. And it does look very, very pretty. Okay. Oh, that looks like... I already like the book. I've just seen the open page thread. Mm. Oh, yeah. There, that's some really classic 40K artwork. Oh, that's lovely. They've got uh, things like uh, a dark cityscape. You've got, um, I'm guessing, some sort of inquisitor bowling along in power armor. They've got like a um, space marine, looks like, an apothecary uh, coming along with them, servitor behind them, and they've got service schools in the foreground. Oh, yes. Yeah, this this is like a very classic design for the 40K books. And um, yeah, it looks absolutely fantastic. Do, have we got the cover somewhere or i was just taking uh, a peek inside boy uh yeah i mean i've seen we've seen the cover before because yeah. uh, we had a we had a big long oh. conversation about you you described yeah. it in immense detail just like you did that <laughs> yeah it's almost almost like we're doing some sort of podcast yes a, yeah. an audio medium and that's the thing audition. on the right they've got there on the right hand side of each page which is exactly what pathfinder yeah. 2e does you see yeah. that sort of contents bar there and, you, yeah. and they've got highlighted the chapter you're on at the moment. And I find that really, really useful in the Pathfinder book. Well, they were doing this previously in, I'm pretty sure, Dark Heresy and so forth. That does mm. look familiar. But you know what? I could be wrong. I might just be back-putting it. It looked, But yeah, it's it's a great way to do it, just to oh, yeah, yeah. a bit of variation I, between I, chapters. I, th- I think that's something I could use more of in role-playing game books, I think. Mm, mm. Absolutely. Like, ease of use. Ease of use is so important. Actually, I mean, especially... in something like the Pathfinder book, when you're looking for skills or feats or spells or something like that, those sections, once you're in the section, you're fine. You can, yeah. you know, it's all going to be alphabetical. But it's just getting to that section. And when you've got that thing down there on the right-hand side, you can see, oh, right, it's just back a little bit. It's really, yeah. really super, super helpful. Oh, absolutely. Right, you know, ease of use is so important because mm-hmm. we've got so many people coming to the hobby. If your game isn't easy to use, people are probably going to play the game that is. Yeah. <laughs> well, there right. is that. There <laughs> um, is that. I've just thrown it out there. Like a, <laughs> I'm a lazy, lazy man. I was like, I, I, I'll go. I will follow. I'll like follow uh, the easiest course, like a uh, water. So if your character sheets are well designed, if your game is like set up so it's all logic explained and easy to use, then that is where people tend to go. I mean, there's like a hundred other factors you need as well, but these are like things that would prevent your game from being played, mm. in my opinion. But what I'm just some guy. So the other day it was April Fool's Day. It was. And while most people really weren't feeding up to sort of posting <laughs> gotchas on the internet. Yeah, yeah. And fortunately, no one that I saw posted any pandemic-related April Fool's jokes, because that would not have gone down well at all. No. Um, no. So some people did think, you know, it is, is a good day just to, just to do something to, to cheer you up a bit, raise your spirits. Uh, I think uh, on, on my website, I just posted a few of our older sketches from the, from the podcast just so people could revisit them. I was just looking at what Paizo did. Oh, yeah. And what they did was they they, they posted some monsters which oh, were yeah. created out of typos made by writers <laughs> during the writing process. Go on, then, yeah. Uh, so what have we got? We have got here, we've got the Blarghest, <laughs> which is when a writer has run up against a particularly tough bit of text. They somehow yeah. let out that most cathartic and universally understood of all sounds. <laughs> when too many such sighs are uttered, they can form into a beast that seeks to bring apathy to all it sees. I see, I see. And they've got stat blocks for all of these as well. It's not of it's not course. just the names. It's a whole it's a whole article. It's Paizo, they're a professional company. They're not gonna go half <laughs> half no half measures here. It's yeah. like picture you got a stat block, you got right up. Of course uh, you know. We've got the Demom. 
It's not a demon. It's a demon. Yes. The mothers that birthed all the demons. Absolutely, it's the mother of all demons. It's like you know, it will call you by your full name because it knows your true full name, and <laughs> will send send you to bed or steal your soul, whichever is more convenient. Right, yeah. Uh, what we got? We got the Kakoa demon. Mmm, <laughs> chocolatey. Yes, and we have got the Skitter Goblin Deck Cutter. I'm not 100% don't. sure what that one is. Um, let's what? have a look at that one. What's the typo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the Skitter that, Goblin like was inevitable, right. right? It's half Skittermander, half Goblin, so it takes right. the Pathfinder iconic idea and the Starfinder iconic idea and jams them together. And uh, John Compton, if you look down in the comments, actually gave rules for Skitter Goblins as playable characters in Starfinder. Right. Yes, of course he did. Nice. Yes, of course he did. Of course. Uh, well, so we've got a uh, squirrel wind. Squirrel wind? Squirrel wind. <laughs> uh, a where-to-go, as opposed to a wendigo. A where-to-go. Yeah. Oh, I like that one, the where-to-go. Yeah. I, well, you thought he was there, but now he wasn't. Yes, where-to-go. Where <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like oh, okay. Yeah. Was it, were there any other April Fool's pranks uh, any of you guys saw? I did see one that wasn't strictly gaming related, but essentially it was Brownsea Island, which is a like a wildlife sanctuary. Yes. And they um, were talking about how they put up little signs for squirrels to find their piles of acorns because obviously squirrels lose their acorns. And so they'd go around the island, putting up like little arrows, squirrel sized signs saying this way to your acorns and uh, you found them, buddy. Like next to the acorns, there. so I thought that was quite cute. But yeah, I'm sure the ac- I'm sure the squirrels really appreciated it. If uh, only te- squirrels could read. <laughs> te- technically, it was put up on March 31st instead of April 1st. But uh, Little Red Goblin Gangs put up the Dung Monger base class Ooh. Uh, nice. for for first edition Pathfinder, and it's a it, they they put it up for free. But I mean, it's got a custom cover, and it's it's got all the rules you need. So if you really want, and, and it even has a list of inspirations of fictional dungmongers uh, throughout fantasy. So uh, I definitely think that fell in the put up something funny for April first category. Yeah, yeah. a dungmonger would be something or someone that sells dung. Yes, I mean at first level you get a dung cart as one of your your class features. Useful. Nice, yeah. Well, I mean, you wouldn't want to try carrying it around using your hands, now, would you? <laughs> well, or actually, if you look at the if you look at the front cover, that suggests that it is not an issue for the dungmonger. <laughs> Good to know. I don't know the one I saw that actually was pretty funny, and uh, it's not role playing directly, but they put up Pong Quest, which is a new Pong game, but it's a role playing game of Pong, <laughs> and could have fifty different types of balls, fifty different types of abilities. It's the Pong formula with the role-playing game added on top of it. So, and I think it's real, or they're making a real game. Uh, let's see, it's on Steam. It's it's oh, it's being released in spring 2020. So it looks like it's going to be playable, and the video looks great. So I, I'm actually looking forward to it. So turn that, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a Kickstarter coming out. It's not a yeah. Kickstarter. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> oh, I know. Straight straight from the top. It's by Atari. It's like a real thing. It's actually kind really? of fun. Talking, talking of Kickstarter, it's going to be really really interesting to see how this pandemic affects Kickstarter. Because there's a load of projects just coming to an end right now, which launched just before the pandemic. Yep. But more interesting, I think, is going to be the ones that are launching now. And we'll see what happens, you know, in four weeks' time, what's happened to them. 
I suspect there'll be quite a drastic downturn, but I, you know, I don't know. I'm only guessing. Well, Frosthaven did pretty well. They uh, oh, yeah. hit like four million in one day, so they didn't mm. seem to be affected. Yeah, the, the money is definitely still there. The question is, is it being focused in fewer projects? Are things on the margin? I mean, I've got the Starfinder Adversaries Legacy Bestiary up on Game on Tabletop right now, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is it's going to fund quite clearly, but it's underperforming mm-hmm. compared to similar projects with the same creators we've done before. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are just being careful because people, even if they haven't lost their job yet, if uh, uh, you know, even if, even if they are still being paid, there's still that worry. Uh, uh, and, and so maybe, you know, maybe a lot of people are just being cautious right now, making sure that they've got money for necessities, making sure, you know, they and their, their families are going to, you know, make, have everything they need. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, yeah, and I think that's probably a sensible priority. I mean, yeah. I, I, I saw a thing that said one third of Americans could not handle a unexpected $500 expense. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in that boat right now, then even though I've got the Legacy Beast Cheery on Game on Tabletop right now, if you don't have a spare 500 bucks, I encourage you to save up a spare 500 bucks first. Mm-hmm. Do, do what you need to to keep you and your family safe and secure. Yeah. Uh, but there are still people that, that have money coming in, and I, I, I hope that those people who are interested in gaming will look at the creators and the backers and the companies they like and say, well... I've got the spare money. This seems like a good time to support them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, don't forget the power of bored people shopping. Yes, totally. Yeah. Out of curiosity, Owen, uh, why, why did you go for Game on Tabletop rather than Kickstarter? Uh, there were a couple of reasons. One of them was that just as a as a business person, I don't like having tools sitting around that I don't know how they work and I don't know if they will work better. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done a number of Kickstarters. We understand Kickstarter pretty darn well. There were some questions about how Kickstarter was treating the people that were trying to unionize when we were first planning this. So that was one reason to look at alternatives. But also, Game on Tabletop is designed to be crowdfunding for role-playing game designers by role-playing game designers. Uh, so, I mean, instead of add-ons, or I mean, instead of stretch goals, you have level-ups, for example. Mm. So it's supposed to focus specifically on that crowd. Paizo had a very successful Game on Tabletop for their Kingmaker uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition, and for that matter, uh, 5e Bestiary Project. So this was a Starfinder project. It seemed like there might be an audience there. But also, I just I wanted to actually use it so that later sure, people said, hey, have you tried Game on Tabletop? I could say, yes, I've, I've done Kickstarter. Yeah, I've done yeah. Game on Tabletop. And it's it's got a bit of a learning curve. Uh, the, the bad side is, because I did launch this just before the whole country started to shut down, I still don't have a apples-to-apples comparison mm. of how the reach goes but i do know what the tools and the advantages and the the things it does differently are now so i can if i'm looking at a project later say well i know how kickstarter handles this i know how game on tabletop handles this i can decide what project makes the most sense in what place mm-hmm. i know i know game on tabletop's like super popular in europe i believe and uh i think in russia it's really popular it hasn't really caught up yeah. yet too much in the u.s but uh, I know I've met with them a few times, and they definitely, it's like Kickstarter for gamers. You know, they did a yeah. lot of things to make yeah. it specific for gaming. I haven't used it, but from what I saw, it looked good. I mean, it looked really nice. And they obviously mm. are catered to gamers. So they're going to make sure that you have the you have what you need. You know, Kickstarter yeah. obviously has to work for everybody. So, And, you know, the other thing is that since it has 
it has fewer projects just because they're, you know, Kickstarter, as, as he just said, has to work with everyone. But that means that you're competing with digital water coolers if you're on Kickstarter. Uh, my tiny little project made the front page of Game on Tabletop just because we, we had crested a thousand bucks for a Starfighter-compatible game. Mm. So there's a level of attention you can get when you are only competing with like projects and you, there aren't as many tens of thousands of them going on. Mm. So there are potential advantages. What if anyone's yet done a simultaneous Indiegogo Game on Tabletop Kickstarter project, launched them all at the same time, exactly the same project on all three platforms. That would be a really interesting experiment to try and just and then just see how each one does. Uh, I don't think. Yeah, but even then, right? <laughs> you, even if you do that, you may not be getting an apples to apples comparison because the question is, hey, when I'm posting to social media, where are you sending these, people? Yeah, yeah, right. And, and if I'm if I'm sending them all three places, which one did I send out first? So, so what I think you could do to maybe mitigate that a bit is instead of sending them directly to one of them, send them to a landing page you've created, which has links to all three. Uh-huh. Even so, one of them's going to come first on the list, but I think that's as, as far as you can probably I, I mitigate think, that. I think I you're I'm really overthinking this, but I... <laughs> oh I, I, uh, you are, you wouldn't be a gamer if you didn't gamify and overthink it too much. But exactly. I, you know what? See, that's, that's what you do, right? You have the, your landing page and it keeps track of how much money each one's made. Mm. And you, are you on team game on tabletop or are you on team Kickstarter? Yeah. So if you're on team game on tabletop, you guys are behind. You need oh. to get, and then you actually gamify people to you know do various that could, different that could, that, could, that could even work. That, that, that's not the worst idea we've had today. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you could do, you could make it randomise it so that instead of so you don't know which order you're going to see the three listed on your landing page. So that would even out that aspect of it. So each of them is seen by an equal number of people first. Maybe yes. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just making this up. Or you, or you could randomly assign them a different sort of place that you're sending them, like. It all, it all depends what you want to do, really. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But I think, Peter, I think Peter's right. I think you're overthinking this. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 to be fair, Stephen said he was overthinking. I, oh, I you're right, you're right, you're right. That well, was, you know what? I actually yeah. wonder, I'm thinking about it more seriously. I don't know if it really matters, because if you think about it, I would imagine that, especially in the role-playing community, a lot of people just get to the pages through social media or through direct mm-hmm. linking. So mm-hmm. if you're getting there from direct linking through, you know, following people that you like on Facebook, Twitter, social media, who cares where it goes? It really only matters, as Owen was saying, for the people who aren't looking for your product, if you're going to be on the front page of Kickstarter or if you're going to be they're just going to stumble across it by accident. Right, on that. right. Yeah. And then yeah. in that case, that's where I think it matters which platform you might be on. But it's hard to say. Um, you know, it depends where you get your audience from, I think. Mm-hmm. And there are also trust issues, right? Uh, when I was launching on Game on Tabletop, I did have a few people ask me, hey, is Game on Tabletop something new? Have they ever shipped a game? Because they had literally not heard of it. Mm-hmm. So there was the question, you know, if you're doing a Kickstarter at this point, everyone knows what a Kickstarter is, how it sure. works. Uh, the fact that a Kickstarter is not guaranteed to actually happen because there have been some famous failed Kickstarters that, that funded but never produced anything. Um, 
and I've I've heard the same thing about Indiegogo, right? I've heard people say, well, if you're on Indiegogo, that means Kickstarter wouldn't take you, which I think is flat not the case, right? They're they're different platforms and they, they handle things slightly differently. But mm. so there there is a perception of how much do people recognize what you're doing and trust the platform you're using. Sure. Yeah. I think what the main difference with Indiegogo is that uh you get paid whether or not you meet your funding goal, I think. Is that the is that the main thing? You can set it up that way. Uh, I believe you actually can also now set up an Indiegogo so that it has to fund completely to go because there were people who were like, well, I don't want my 10 bucks to be sent to them if they don't have the money to make the project happen. Yeah. So I think they can do it both ways now. Fair enough. Uh, right, should we just whip through the rest of the news very quickly? Um, do you know who we haven't mentioned yet today? And there is not a news section if they're not mentioned. Oh well, yeah. What's happening in the world, Modiphius? Modiphius, who received four thousand, who released four thousand three hundred and twenty-two books this week, uh, picked up seventy-two new licenses. Uh, but the one we're talking about right now is uh, a new Conan book, Conan the Wanderer. It's Ooh. a source book for their Conan adventures in an age undreamed of RPG, and it oh. focuses on the eastern region of the world of Hyboria. Uh, it's a gazetteer. I, I'm not super familiar with the setting, but it, uh, it, it covers the kingdoms of Gulistan, uh-huh. Hyrcania, Iranistan, Kosala, uh-huh. Vengia, and Kitai, which I assume okay. means something to people who are into their Conan lore. <laughs> I thought I was, but apparently not. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> not. Apparently not. And I think that oh. is probably it for the weekly news. Have you guys mentioned in a previous show the BRP SRD? Yes, we have. Yeah, we covered that one. What are your thoughts on that one then, Owen? Because that's been a little controversial in some places, I've noticed. So there are people who aren't happy with the exact language of the OGL that BRP is using, uh, yeah. because they're not using the Wizards of the Coast OGL. They have created just, their just own to clar- Sorry, just to clarify to the uh, listeners, BRP being basic role-playing system, yes, uh, yeah. which is the, the system that powers things like Call of Cthulhu from Chaosium. So Call, Call of Cthulhu and uh, RuneQuest and Pendragon. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, so and they've got OGL their... OGL being open gaming license. They've got their own open gaming license. Exactly. Yeah. And there are people that don't like the language they've used who feel like it's not tight enough to be depended on. There were very similar complaints about the Wizards of the Coast OGL when it came out, um, and it's never been tested in court. In general, I find most of these OGLs are most useful in the uh, meeting of minds sense of a contract, right? Is it is it clear what it is they do and don't want to let you do, and therefore what it is and is not safe to do? Yeah. So... I would not risk my life savings on any OGL product myself because I am risk adverse and they haven't been tested in court and who knows what what would or would not be decided and I would hate to have mortgage, you know, two mortgages on my house because a, a book run was the one thing that was going to save me. Mm, but yeah. I do think the the basic role play OGL uh, is clear enough that if you're the sort of person who's doing as I do through Rogue Genius, if, if you're doing Pathfinder 2nd Edition stuff, uh, especially the people who, and I've, I've done this as well, who are doing 5th Edition stuff using the OGL, uh, but you can't say Dungeons & Dragons because uh-huh. th- there is no license for that. Mm. Uh, I, I think it is good enough that there's nothing wrong with putting some projects out and seeing how they go. Uh, I have already got the makings of a zombie apocalypse BRP OGL using their SRD, System Reinforcer Document. And I will probably, when I find 
spare time from doing a project a week every week for 52 and 52 and doing <laughs> freelance and uh, running Kickstarters and everything else I'm doing, I probably will finish and put out a short Zombie Apocalypse BRPOGL in many ways for the same reason that I'm using Game on Tabletop for the Legacy Bestiary. It's a tool out there, and I want to see how it does. Uh, it's the same reason that I put out a Dungeon Masters Guild project. We put out Shadowcaster, which was written by Ari Marmel, who did the Shadowcaster for the Tome of Magic for 3.5. It's a different kind of project. It's not OGL. I can only sell it on the Dungeon Masters Guild. Wizards of the Coast takes a bigger cut, but it lets me play with a tool set I can't play with otherwise. Mm. And I want to know how these things do. I, I think if you're trying to survive as a full-time RPG creator, it is useful to take a moment and say, well, what is out there that might do well, that I might get an audience with, that might draw attention that I haven't played with? Because otherwise, you're still just, you're, you're doing 3.0 SRD material 20 years later and the audience may have moved on. Mm-hmm. So I think it's worth experimenting and I'm, I'm excited to see, I mean, the SRD alone, from my point of view, is worth it because that's most of a popular and well-tested game system that I can then bolt onto only the parts I need. It has some interesting restrictions. Uh, If you use their OGL, for example, you are not allowed to make a product that refers to anything in the Cthulhu mythos. Mm -hmm. It specifically says... Arthurian. Yes, or anything Arthurian. It specifically says, yes, there's Arthurian stuff and there's Cthulhu stuff that is public domain. You are welcome to make your own game for those. You just can't use our rule system. So clearly they're trying to prevent someone from from undercutting Call of Cthulhu with with posts from a Cthulhu or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. Going full Pathfinder on them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. but I mean, even going full Pathfinder, right? The company that was doing 3.5 was moving on. Um, but yeah, yes. that is that is clearly something that they are not wanting to compete with. Mm-hmm. But even then, right, there's a lot of... I can perfectly well do 1920s horror and borrow from things that are Cthulhu-esque that aren't from officially the Cthulhu mythos or make up my own stuff. So absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's fascinating and I plan to play with it. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, there's another last couple of bits of news very quickly. Uh, the fading suns Kickstarter from Ulysses spiel is live for their fourth edition. We'll just shoot through these really quickly. We don't have to yeah, yeah. dive into them in detail. Um, uh, also, I wanted to mention that our own uh, Trail Seeker Patreon is winding down this summer. Mm-hmm. We've got about two months' worth of articles left to publish, which we're going to publish, and then uh, we're not commissioning anymore. And that's the one that's for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. It's been around for about four years, actually. It was uh, for Pathfinder 4th Edition up until late last year. Switched... Uh, Fourth edition? What one? What am I talking about? It's our time traveling. It's for Pathfinder first edition. Right. Up until late last year. Uh, we switched over to Pathfinder second edition, but we're we're gonna be winding it down this summer. So if you do if you do want to grab I think there's probably coming up to two hundred supplements on there now. Nice. So, something in that region. If you do want to grab those um, hop on over to the Patreon, uh, become a patron just for another month or two. You'll end up paying almost nothing for about 200 odd, you know, supplements or adventures, most of which are Pathfinder first edition. But since last August, they've been from Pathfinder second edition. So it's a pretty, pretty bloody good deal. Yeah. So there you go. If uh, you're a true Pathfinder completist, this could be the thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right, and that is the news, I think, now. I well, think we I, 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 I don't know if this would really count as a news item. Um, it's like Wizards of the Coast is bringing a new errata for Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Does that count as a news item? Oh, or? yeah. Yeah, so someone on Reddit, I believe, uh, uh, got a copy of, a recent copy of Xanathar's Guide to Everything, opened it up, and found yes. that there were some differences in there from the, from the previous edition. Yeah, that's right. Well, it looks like Wizards of the Coast have been compiling... Well, of course they've been compiling errata, because that's what they do. I mean, that's, that's how, how, how producing role-playing games works. But um, <laughs> it looks it, it looked like some errata had gone into this latest printing. So they asked online on, on, one, of the, on one of the Twitters, I think, uh, Chris Perkins or someone like that, who uh, confirmed that there is, there is an errata imminent for Xanathar's Guide to Anything coming through. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you go and buy a copy of the book now, it's already in there. Well, uh, I mean, the is one thing. There were some obvious mistakes, like, I don't know, arcane archers at third level were supposed to be shooting magic arrows, but who's got magic arrows at level three, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and mine spikes scaled by D6 and 78. So that, that was, like, really obvious stuff. <laughs> the big thing is that they've done is they've actually nerfed one of the healing spells, healing spirit, and that's that's been nerfed really heavily. So, mm-hmm. you know, it... It was. It went. It's gone from being really overpowered to this is also a spell. Um, yeah. The Goblin Horde is getting closer, Melvin. I'm down to my last few arrows. I fear this may be the end for us, my old friend. Never fear, Bodrick. I have a trick up my sleeve. A spell which should get us out of this particular spot of bother. You do. Then whip out your spell forthwith, my sorcerer's friend, and dispense with this villainous rabble. Very well, let me peruse my spellbook. Now, where is it? D-E-F, fantastic. Flaming. Ah, here it is. Flaming Badger. Uh, what? Flaming Badger. That should put an end to this sorry situation. Sorry, just, just to clarify, did you say Flaming Badger? <laughs> yes, indeed, I did, chum. I shall conjure a badger in sheathed in red-hot burning flame, and shall sully forth unto the ranks of the approaching miscreants and burn them to a crisp. But it's a badger. Yes, my friend Bodrick. That's why the spell is called Flaming Badger. You're going to summon a badger and set it on fire? No, no, no. That would be cruel. I'm not going to set the badger on fire. No, the badger... Is already on fire. Right. Does it does it have to be a badger? Oh. Well, it's never really occurred to me to use anything else. To be honest, I mean, I suppose I could use a squirrel or something. I was kind of thinking something, you know, not conscious and able to suffer the agony of being burned alive. <laughs> the badger is being sent deep into the ranks of a ravenous goblin horde, friend Bodrick. I think being on fire is the least of its worries. Nevertheless, perhaps instead of a badger, you could use a ball? Uh, a ball? A sphere of fire, which could roll into the enemy rabble with the same effect, but less burning badger. Oh, yeah, yes. I suppose that could work. No badger. Novel. I wonder why no one has ever thought of this before. You could call it Flaming Sphere instead. By Jove, I suppose I could. Very well then, flaming sphere it is. Then, I shall follow up with a spell to protect us both. Good idea, dear Melvin. What did you have in mind? (laughs) 
A defensive wall betwixt us and the encroaching swarm. That sounds most excellent. Very well, Cobber Melvin. Cast your protective spell. Yes. Let me see. U, V, W. Here it is. Wall of Badgers. Should we jump into RPG Superstar? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear about RPG Superstar. I am stoked for that. That sounds like a really exciting thing. So RPG Superstar. I was I was actually a judge on RPG Superstar. I can't remember when. It might have been <laughs> seven years ago, maybe. Uh, I guess I can't remember which year it was. So are you? I. Yeah, I remember. I remember it well. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with how with how the competition worked in its original incarnation. But um, just for just for those who don't know, uh, Stephen, would you like to just sort of like uh, summarise what RPG Superstar what what it is? Sure. So what RPG Superstar is, it's actually a contest that existed for many many years at Paizo, where they they did it to find talent. And they made people go through a gauntlet of creative processes where they would have to create a magic item, they'd have to create an NPC, they'd have to create an adventure, they'd have to create a monster. There was a lot of things. You had to create a lot of things. And there was something like five steps. So we have distilled it down to the bare essence. And I've been talking to Owen about this and others. And we got it down to just really one step, and that is creating a monster. And Mm -hmm. the reason for that is monsters Uh are kind of the heart and soul of role-playing games. And Mm -hmm. uh, you can find out a lot. I have created a lot of monsters for Pathfinder and Starfinder. And it's one of these things that it seems very easy to do. Anyone can create a monster. Mm. But to do it well is extremely Uh hard because... Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I'm seeing right now, just to give you an example, is um, you have to, you only have 500 to 700 words to create a monster because that's how much space is really on a page. And I'm getting people asking me, can I create one for a thousand words? I have a very complex monster with a lot of cool features and cool abilities. And I say, Mm. no. I mean, that's part of the job. You got to, you got to, yeah, yeah, you got to distill it down to the essence. And trust me, I've done the same thing when I make my own monsters. It's, it's hard. You got to be able to get down a monster because also a, a, a GM has to be able to read it and role play and use that monster in a combat for three rounds and then they die. And then very quickly. So you can't have things too complex, but anyhow, back to what you were saying. RPG Superstar, we're looking for people to submit a monster, and then we're going to judge them. And then we have prizes, tons and tons of prizes, and anywhere from 250 bucks for the grand prize, sorry, $500 for the grand prize, because we changed it, and you get the cover of the book, mm-hmm. of the PDF. We're going to put your monster on there. You get a four-page spread. You get all this awesome. stuff from Paizo. You get a free t-shirt of your monster. And... Mm-hmm. The craziest one of all, this my friend John Stats, he uh, was one of the lead developers or the lead developer of World of Warcraft, and he uh-huh. actually had the most successful book Kickstarter of all time where he wrote about the history of World of Warcraft back in Vanilla mm-hmm. WoW, and he mm-hmm. has a book coming out called The Book of Dungeons, and he will put your monster as one of the main protagonists in the book. So your monster yeah. will actually be in a book, 
and you can you can see heroes fighting and killing your monster probably. So we, we got a lot of weird stuff in this contest. So brilliant. So how, so how did this come about then? Because uh, the original competition ended in what 2015. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. How 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 did this come about? This resurrection did uh, did. Paizo approached you? Did no. you approach Paizo? Whose idea was it? It was mine. So this is actually what happened is that I have si- I've sat around and I always hear people talk about RPG Superstar all the time in mm. a lot of interviews and anything to do with Paizo. I always am at these seminars and people are raising their hands saying, when are you guys bringing back RPG Superstar? Everyone yeah. wanted it to come back. And I mm. also wanted it to come back because it was fun. And I had an idea of making a contest where you can make monsters. And that was my original idea. And I was just going to have something where we can make monsters. I contacted Owen, and he thought, hey, we could just call it, you know, a role for combat superstar. It should be okay. You don't have to check with the lawyers. And then I was at PAX East in December, and I was talking to Eric Mona, and I told him about, oh, is it okay if we do this contest and maybe I call it, um, you know, World for Combat Superstar? He might have misheard me. And he's like, oh, we're not using the Superstar brand anymore. You could probably have it. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that changes things quite a bit. Uh, it, it was like a very loud conference hall, you know, where it's in the middle uh, of uh, PAX. So I was like, oh, well, if you want to have us actually use RPG Superstar, that's even better. And mm. that's kind of where it came from. It just, it was almost, a, I don't know if it was a misunderstanding, but, you know, they, mm. they, I spoke to them afterwards. They weren't going to be using it again. It was too much effort, too much work yeah. on their part. So they were happy that it was coming back and someone could resurrect mm. it. They trusted me. They knew Owen was part of the deal. Half the judges are from No Direction and Paizo. So, you know, they, they completely trusted us of doing this. So... That's where it came from. It actually was not as difficult as I thought to get this up and going. It's like, I'm not using it. I like you. you, you yeah, that's good. That is, yeah, that's pretty that nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, Roll for Combat has done a fair amount of stuff with Paizo, right? So it's not like mm. Paizo doesn't know the quality that Roll for Combat generates. Mm. And I am known in some circles as the man who killed RPG Superstar uh, because I made the mistake of doing a cost-benefit analysis uh, when I was the host for Paizo, and it turns out the cost way outweighed the benefit for Paizo because things one developer's life was absorbed by RPG Superstar, mm. uh, and a number of judges had to work on stuff. And the the you know putting together contests and and interacting in that way with a website is not what Paizo does. So it was a huge problem every time, and we loved it, and we loved the the fan interaction. But there just came a point. Uh, when we had done it eight, nine times, where it wasn't worth it anymore. So we, mm. we stopped doing it. But that doesn't mean we didn't love it at Paizo when I was working there. It just wasn't a good business decision for us. So, you know, Stephen pings me and he says, hey, can we have a phone call? I've got this crazy idea. And I'm like, what What on earth crazy idea can Stephen Clicker be up to? And he's like, superstar, mm. I want to do a superstar. And I've, I'll put together this website and we'll we'll do a monster book and... We'll boil it down to just a monster. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about being a monster is that uh, for Pathfinder 2nd Edition, a monster interacts with everything you need for a role-playing game, right? There's some some rules acumen you need. There's some storytelling you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a, a blog post up on the RPG Superstar site now where I talk about the fact that it, Pathfinder 2nd Edition makes it really easy to make sure your numbers are right. 
It has roughly the right AC. It has the right number of hit points. It's got a decent attack. But that's a sack of hit points with a sword. That's boring. What you need is to find a way to make it interesting. So it's got to have an interesting description, a good hook. It's got to be interesting in combat. There are things you can do that that when a GM reads this monster, they think, oh, I know how to use this. I've got a great idea for an encounter. This will be fun. And so mm. distilling that story element and those rules elements into a place that is fun, that is where the superstar quality is going to come together for this. So I'm right. super excited that Steven has grabbed this by the by the horns and and he was he was very kind to to offer to have me do some of it and i'm delighted to have gotten to write a little bit about it and boost it but make no mistake steven is doing all the hard work and roll for combat is is doing the heavy lifting on this and so uh, i'm super excited to see people get super excited about superstar coming back so are the are the entries already flooding in they're they are and they're not it's fascinating we have gotten entries but Right now, you can only do two, although I might make that three. And yes, you can win more than once. It's all, it's all um, anonymous. The judges have no idea when they're going through who submits what. So mm-hmm. you can win more than once if, if you're good yeah. enough. Right now, people are sitting here thinking. I see a lot of people on our Discord channel talking about it. And we have. I, I gave a lot of time for this. It's not due until like mid-June. So you have a couple of months, so people don't feel rushed. I did that on purpose because I knew there was going to be a global pandemic and people would have lots of time (laughs) in their hands. So it worked out really great. But uh, no, no, uh, no, it's horrible. you you know people are really thinking it through i did the same thing when i was entering superstar it's like i don't know which is more fun it's like thinking about your entry and fine-tuning it and then submitting it or just submitting it so people are are taking their sweet time which is fine uh but one thing about the site and i just want to mention you can submit monsters and make them public so it sort of works kind of very similar to D&D Beyond where you could just make monsters and anyone can see them so you could mm-hmm. just have fun and make monsters and there's no there's no uh, word requirement for making them and something else is check it out because the tool we created to make monsters is very cool and almost completely automated for example if you use the rules the uh pathfinder rules have all the numbers so like if you're doing a spellcaster versus a brute it tells you what the numbers should be you can go Mm -hmm. through it put in the template of a brute and it'll put in the numbers for that level so if you say i want a level you know cr8 brute it just gives you the numbers you can change them so you don't have to spend time on the numbers you can just spend time Mm -hmm. on the cool abilities and the flavor and it's very intuitive and nearly automated. And that's something we did on purpose because we didn't want people, A, we want people to follow the rules. B, we want a balanced monster that falls within yeah. the guidelines of Paizo. And C, we wanted it so that people can spend time on not fighting math, math finder, and just on the flavor and the abilities oh. and the mm-hmm. uh, lore of the monster. So, yeah. You know, and that's that's the tool we created. You know, that's the other thing. By having one round, I was able to pour a lot of effort into making an extremely robust tool for building monsters and mm. just monsters. So, yeah. So, which is something that people are going to going to find useful. You know, when this when this competition is over, 
that thing are presumably still going to be yeah. there on the web and people can yeah. use it to come along and build themselves a, a yeah. Pathfinder monster. It's completely free, too. I mean, it's um, yeah. you can go in, make monsters, you can share them with people, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's half uh, monster creator and catalog and then half RPG superstar. And the mm-hmm. RPG Superstar contest is going to last a while. You know, we have a couple of months for people to submit monsters. We have additional blog articles of people uh, creating monsters, some people who have done this professionally, and they're giving their outline. We have one here. It's like a killer chipmunk is one of the latest ones. He called it something else. But it's a good blog post where he explains, like, how do you take a CR1, which is one of the mm-hmm. hardest ones to write. It's You think low levels easy. It's actually low levels mm-hmm. extremely hard. And he explains his whole thought process of how to make a killer chipmunk and it's mm. it's really interesting you know it's it's fun um actually that was the hardest thing I ever, Monty Python there, yeah <laughs> the hardest thing i ever created uh i had to make a cr like third ooze and it's hard to make a cr half or cr third monster because they can't do anything they have four hit points no. like what do you do with yeah. them so it's all flavor yeah. it's all imagination yeah. you know it's really tricky so, mm-hmm. you know, we have, we have articles for that um, of how to create monsters and what the thought process is. So are people free to use any CR they wish, or is there some guidelines? Yeah, you can go from negative one up to CR 24. That's all the math oh, wow. we have. Um, we're using the Paizo math from their Game Master yeah. Guide. So mm-hmm. there is no 25, which I was surprised. So you can't use 25 because we don't have the math for it. So. Mm-hmm. There's no rule against using a CR24. Usually people have asked, well, what should I do, a high or low? I mean, you know, I'm in charge of it, so I can't really answer. But I will say you probably, if you do a lower one, the chance of it being used and seen in real life is a lot better than a high one. You know, it's the high ones are fun to read, but Mm -hmm. how often are those ever going to show up? Sure. They're not. Sure. It's very rare. So, are you are you able to share what sort of coming in, sort of in, in the CR range? Is it tending to be towards the lower end? No one's asked me that. Let me look. That's a good question. Oh, I'm full of those good questions right now. Let me look. <laughs> Mathematically, Pathfinder Second Edition is specifically designed not to have what we used to call the sweet spot in First Edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be in First Edition. There was this place around CR five to CR nine, depending on your opinion where a monster could do enough to be interesting but not do so much as to be so complex you couldn't you couldn't bear to run it yeah um so you've got the same number of options at most levels obviously higher level monsters have more stuff but the point is there there are things you can do even with with cr negative one sure i hope one of the things we'll see is people thinking well, what makes an interesting monster for the kinds of adventures that people are doing at this level? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you're doing a, a CR 24 monster, you probably don't want it to be a rat that lives in a sewer under a small town because <laughs> it would tear apart the small town. Mm-hmm. So there's there's the thinking of what's the ecological niche for these things. Mm-hmm. Um, at the higher level, the higher CR something is, the, the more you need to be thinking what is this thing's place in the world? What mm. kind of adventures you're going to run into it? What's the impact it has on the environment around it? Yeah. Uh, well, on the flip side of that, every time I get some kind of 
bestiary or monster manual or mm-hmm. catalogue of creatures, anything like that. I'm always looking for the highest CR creature in there just because mm-hmm. I have to know. But but it's always a high CR creature, right? You always have a lot yeah. more CR sevens than you do CR sure, twenty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm looking uh, here actually at the entries. There's one mm. CR one. It's only one, which is not surprising because yeah. they're they're hard to do. And Ooh. they're CR four to CR nine. That's by far the majority. Yeah. There's one CR twenty, and Ooh. there's a couple in the teens. But uh, yeah, that's that's about expected. That you have a whole bunch yeah. between four and uh, well, four and seven, eight, nine. There's a fewer, but you know, it looks like the sweet spot is six and seven. That is about mm. the sweet spot right now. <laughs> also, one thing about Pathfinder Second Edition. It's really easy to scale these monsters up and down because of the math. Mm-hmm. You know, you can keep the abilities and then just change the math to make them a little bit more powerful, a little bit less powerful. I mean, it's not, you won't be able to take a CR1 creature and make it a 20 that easily, but you can take a CR7 and make it a 9 or a 4 without too much trouble. So mm-hmm. that's something to keep in mind. Lot, lot scalability with them, yeah. I mean, it's going to be really hard judging it, I'd have thought. Well, it's probably hard because they've got Owen there to help. No, it's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard at all. I mean, it's it's work, right? But really what you're doing is you're looking at each individual monster and you're saying, okay, what do I think about this monster? What? How do I like the, the writing? How do I like the ideas? How do I like how it's going to work in combat? And you just you, you, you give it your gut shot and you go forward. There's, I, I hate to use terms that, that are kind of meaningless and that people use all the time, but there really is an it factor when you're judging something like this. You will read a monster and you'll think to yourself, oh, that's really cool. I wouldn't have thought of that. I think it's going to be interesting. You know, there are going to be 500 variants of giants and trolls and dragons, right? Those yeah. those are super popular. People will, will do, and some of those, you might go, oh, that's a really cool take on it. I'm really moved by it. But there's also going to be those few things where you're like, oh, I never would have thought of that. I would love to see an adventure on that. I can see that being on the cover of an adventure, fighting a couple of iconic heroes. Y- you sort of know it when you see it. And it's, it's one of the fascinating things about doing something like this, is you get to see the creativity of people that just have not previously had an opportunity to show people what it is they can do. Hmm. The way we're doing it is, uh, here's the thing. When I spoke to Owen, one of the biggest problems with the contest was the amount of time it took. And something I did is, well, I build websites for a living and I actually build medical websites. So I deal with doctors. And if I can figure out a way to make doctors take tests and get those test results in. I think I could figure out a way for uh, RPG people to judge monsters. So I'm using mm. the same theories and technologies that I've learned over the years in the medical industry. So we've made it really easy. It's nearly all automated. What happens is as the monsters go in, uh, when it comes to judging, they're just going to randomly be assigned to judges' pools. And then they will just get the monsters. They'll just see the name. They don't know who did it. And then they'll be able to read through it submit comments and judge it and then move on to the next one and not mm. everyone's doing a hundred percent of the monsters in fact it's random so what's going to happen is that you will get a random percentage of the monsters and each monster will be seen by no less than three judges so mm. by automating this and making a website where you could just log on judge a few monsters uh, for one day come back the next day it should hopefully be a lot easier 
for the judges. And that's a big part of it, is I really wanted to make it easy for everyone. I wanted to make it easy for people to submit the monsters, and I wanted to make it easy for the judges to review the monsters. And then there's also going to be a public mm-hmm. round, and that's going to be very simple. It's going to be people can go on the monsters and then just vote on them with uh, very minimal voting. It's not going to be anything too complex. And that's, again, that's on purpose. So we can get a, a feel for uh, which monsters are the best ones. Mm. So... My side of this really was to explain to Stephen the things that caused us to shut it down. So all I had to do was tell him what problems were. And then Stephen came up with all the solutions. So, uh, so Owen, so looking at the Pathfinder 2nd Edition bestiary, could you uh, let us know maybe like two or three of your favorite monsters from that book? Um, so I'm going to focus on one. I love the owl bear in this book. Or the bear um, owl, as we like to call it. Uh, and the reason I love it is that the the classic owl bear, if you look it up from Pathfinder and from three five and three oh in second edition, the owl bear is a really cool story. Ooh, it's a hybrid of these two different predators. That's cool. It sounds cool. It's frightening, but all it is is a, a dire lion, right? Mm. All it is is a creature in those previous editions that it, it has an attack and it has some hit points and it's got an AC, and that's it. You could take any basic animal and say, hey, here's a here's a bigger... You, you could take an elephant stat block and reskin it and say, that's that's an owlbear, and no one mm. would know the difference. In second edition, the owlbear has some special abilities. It's got some frightening screeches and it's got some charges and it's got stuff. That means when you're fighting an owlbear, it fights different than when you're fighting a lion or when you're fighting mm. an elephant. And that, I think, really highlights how you design monsters in second edition to make them interesting. For they've got they've got abilities that you when you fight a creature like this, you go, oh, that's how an owlbear fights. That's what we have to look out for. That a, a bear does not have a screech that can frighten everyone in an area. And I think that's that's really informative for people who are trying to figure out, well, how do I make my creature interesting? Look up the owlbear, especially compare it to the previous edition, and see what the Pathfinder design team did when they were saying, well, how do we take this creature, which is famous, and people love the story, but when you actually fight one, it's just a big sack of hit points with a a damage stick. That's all it is. How do we make that more interesting so that the fight becomes a story, so that people talk about that time this thing happened, and it's not just depending on critical hits and interesting terrain? Sure. Uh-huh. What about you, Stephen? Could you could you pick a favorite monster from Pathfinder 2E? Yes. In fact, I as, as soon as you said that, I had to pull out the book because I'm going to cheat and pull out the monster I wrote, uh, the okay. Extinction <laughs> Curse Legacy of the Lost God. Well, I'll tell you why, and maybe Owen could uh, he could also chime in on this one. As here, I'll even hold up. Ooh, look, I did this one. Uh, the Boogeyman. From this, the Boogeyman was tricky because it's actually a family. It's the Boogie, then the Bugaboo, and then the Boogeyman. And the Boogie is a level 3, the Bugaboo is level 6, and the Boogeyman's level 10. And they evolve Mm -hmm. from the low, medium, to high. And I actually never created something like that. Like a scary Pokemon. Yeah, like a scary Pokemon. (laughs) And the exercise of writing a monster that evolves... And it, plus, it was also a lot of words. It was like 1,600 words. Is very fascinating because you have to think about it not just as a standalone monster, but as a actual life cycle of the monster and how it changes mm. as it evolves and why it gets new abilities. And also even how it, how it evolves. It's actually in the monster stat block as well. That was 
my favorite monster that I created. Unfortunately, my favorite, favorite monster of all time was cut. So uh, maybe <laughs> it's going to be Beastary too. They had to cut it for space, which sucks. But uh, it happens. Uh, but this was my favorite one is the Boogeyman. And having uh, first the artwork came out amazing. And um, also, it's a, it's a fun monster. If you're going to be able to ma- make one, it's, it's not like the, oh, you made the Zunamumba. Like, what's that? Mm. You know, everyone knows what a boogeyman is. So it's kind of cool. Mm. So you're both uh, Pathfinder 2E experts now, I guess. What, what are your favorite advancements, like generally from the first edition going through to, to the current edition? In my opinion, the greatest advancement of Pathfinder 2nd Edition is how they're handling multiclassing. Um, of all of the things that have evolved from the D20 system over the past 20 years that, that evolved out of the, some of the thinking back in D&D even, uh, I think Pathfinder 2nd Edition handles multiclassing the best. Mm-hmm. So far, I have not Ooh. found any multiclass combination that is way overpowered, and I have not found any that automatically tank your character, right? It, it is feat for multi-classing but but classes are feats right all classes are mm-hmm. in pathfinder second edition are sure. some special abilities feats mm-hmm. and numbers mm-hmm. which are based on your level anyway so okay. the numbers are based on your level no matter what the crucial okay. special abilities you pick up from the multi-class feat and everything else is just, i mean if i play a wizard druid i can mm-hmm. cast druid spells so you can't okay. say it's just feats. I'm casting druid spells. Mm-hmm. And yes, I'm going to be a level behind on spells, and I'm giving up some extra wizard abilities, but that is how it balances. So if what you want is to say, I want to play a paladin sorcerer, that is a combination that will just ruin any level of effectiveness in in first edition um, or 3035. There's no good way to do it. If I want to be a paladin sorcerer in second edition, I can wear heavy armor, I can smite people, I can cast uh, sorcerer spells, I can have a bloodline. So mm. all of this stuff that is what it means to be those classes is available to your character. Mm. Uh, so I, I absolutely think it is multi-classing. They have broken out mm. how classes work into discrete bits so that you can shuffle those bits together, and that's what makes a multi-class. I have to agree with Owen because I've run probably about 70 games and about, at this point, I'd say about 80% of the characters take a dedication at second level. And Mm. in fact, and including characters who didn't think they were going to. And the second level dedication is multi-class basically. So, you know, you could be a sorcerer and then at second level say, "Uh, I'm going to take fighter or I'm going to take bard. And it's so easy to do and it gives you a lot of advantages without breaking the system that mm. almost why wouldn't you you know everyone everyone yeah. everyone's doing it you might as well and i see that of all the games i've been running three out of four people will take a dedication at second level and dip their mm. toe into another class just yeah. because you can and it's fun who doesn't want I- that and you can dip as deep or as shallowly as you want, right? If you're like, well, what I really want is for my wizard, who I envision as being a Gandalfian wizard running around with his version of Glamdring, I want him to do a few cool things with a sword. Great. Mm-hmm. Take the fighter dedication, or if you want the paladin ranger, whatever it is that, that works for you, because they, they do have different abilities at that base dedication. And get good with your sword, take two or three, and then move on. And the abilities you picked, because of the way the math works, remain relevant throughout your career. 
just like with, you know, if I want to pick up, if I'm a rogue and I'm like, well, I want to be a lot like the Grey Mouser from Fafford and the Grey Mouser. So I'm going to take mm-hmm. a dedication. I'm going to pick up just a little wizard. I'll pick a few cantrips. Those cantrips will scale as I go up in levels. So they remain useful things for my character throughout my career. Mm-hmm but they don't necessarily define every moment of what my character is. You can also, if you really want to, once you've taken enough feats, you could pick up another dedication at high levels. So if you're like, what I really want to be is a fighter, magic user, thief. I love mm. first level D&D. I want to do all those things. Well, start as a fighter, pick yep. up some magic user, and then once you've gotten enough magic user, wizard, obviously, and once you have enough wizard feats, okay. pick up the rogue dedication, pick up some extra abilities from yeah. there. So how you develop your characters... One of the things that people love about first edition Pathfinder is the number of different character builds you can viably make. The and the number of yeah. that customization. And this mm. is a way to use that customization for all characters. And it also means anytime Paizo puts out a new, here's a new second level fighter feat, well, that's not just for fighters, that's for yeah. fighters. And anyone who took the fighter dedication and then goes high enough level that they get to pick a new fighter feat, mm. which means it, it's the same way. They use the same system for archetypes now. So if you want to be a, a, a they've got a, a rune master archetype in, in one of the uh, campaign books, cool. you can pick that up rather than picking up rogue or wizard or whatever. Mm. But that one set of archetype abilities can apply to every single character. In first edition, we had a wizard archetype that was the Mogwambi Arcanist. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Tied to lore, really cool, designed specifically for wizards. Yeah. When I was running the player companion line, one of the things I realized is, oh, we've put out an Arcanist now. Well, an Arcanist mm-hmm. cannot be a Mogambian Arcanist because only wizards can be a Mogambian Arcanist. So your Arcanist oh. can't be an Arcanist. There's no way to take that archetype. So uh-huh. I created a Mogambi, I had someone write a Mogambian Arcanist archetype for the Arcanist. But mm-hmm. that's exactly the sort of problem you will not have in second edition. If they say, well, this is yep. what a Mogami and Arcanist gets, any character that meets whatever prerequisites they put on that uh-huh. can do that. It's the same with, like, pirate. I think we had five or six different things. Uh, here's a pirate, and here's a sea dog, and here's a buccaneer. We They don't have to do all that. You can say, here are the core abilities. This is what we think you need. Bolt them on. And if you want, your your fighter can take some rogue abilities. And after your fighter has taken some rogue abilities, then he can take some, some pirate yeah, abilities. Yeah. Nice. So it is a much more elegant system for expanding how your character works. And that's tied okay. into the fact that they changed how the math works so it, oh. it works consistently and evenly for all characters. Yes. Yeah, I think I think for me, for Pathfinder 2nd Edition, I'm very much enjoying the action economy. Yes. reaction economy that definitely changes it's not it's not even like a, a massive massive change i don't feel but it just changes the way combat works to just make it feel a lot more intuitive i think is the word i want to use it feels yeah. right uh, yeah. and especially when things that used to be static just static things like a shield turn uh-huh. into an action uh-huh. which you're using as part of that action economy but you're not losing out because there's still enough actions there to do that it's yeah. not like you're raising a shield or moving, you can yeah. move, attack, and raise a shield. Yeah, yeah. I'm, fi- I'm finding that really, really interesting, and that's really, really working well for me in my Thursday night games. Yeah. Well, and when you're trying to teach someone, 
um, if you teach someone Pathfinder First Edition, you're like, okay, you get a standard action. Oh, okay, I get a standard action. <laughs> and you get a move action. Okay, great, mm. I got a standard and a move. Plus, you can take a full action, which uses both of those. Okay, so now we've got three things. I've got a standard, a move, and a... Okay, you also can have a swift action. All right, so what's... what's <laughs> there are also free actions. Wait, it's an action, but it's free? Plus, you can have a reaction, which may or may not be your attack of opportunity. <laughs> okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I've got move actions, full actions, standard actions, but I can trade out a standard action for a move. Can I trade a move for a standard? No, 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 no. You can't do that. Oh, no, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> That's a I've got a swift... Yeah. Um, Whereas with Pathfinder 2nd Edition, you can say, if you do a thing, that's yeah. an action. Mm. Pretty much anything is an action, and you get three yeah. of those. Mm. So yeah. I can stab someone three times? Yes, there are some penalties, but if, if what you want to do is stab, you can stab someone three times. Oh, this yeah. thing takes two actions. Oh, okay, great. I get three. This uses two. Got it. No problem. Mm. Um, yeah. And that lets you play with things like uh, Magic Missile. How many actions are you going to take to cast Magic Missile? Because you get a different result based on how much time you spend on it. Mm -hmm. Oh, so <laughs> fighter can stab someone three times, but I can cast magic missile for three rounds and get more magic missiles. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly that. Yeah, it's basically an action point economy now, isn't it? That's yeah, basically what it's done. Yeah, similar idea. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, what about like you, Stephen? Oh yeah. Sorry, yeah. uh, your, your favorite thing going from 1E to 2E? Stole it. I mean, everyone everyone says action economy because it's the best. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, That's so okay. I mean, everyone always yeah. says oh, it. The action economy is uh, just great. I can't. It is. I, can't, the action, I, 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 I don't think it's. I, I've, I've only like, looked, looked at the book. I've only played like the one game of it. But my favorite thing is the absolutely amazing description of how to actually play the game. Because if you all know how, everybody know how to play the game, that's great. You just like sort of. But no, Pathfinder 2nd Edition, that is like by far the best explanation I've ever seen mm -hmm. of how you play it. Like, we, you know, we're, we're an industry that's like, you know, producing books that don't tell you how it actually works. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that oh, yeah, like, totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, they did like, a very uh, the, good the, job of well, That stuff's really hard to write as well. I've tried to it, write that game more than once. And it's, uh, A, it's not that much fun to write, but also uh, it's really hard to write and actually yeah. write in a way that, isn't exactly the same things that everyone else has said in every single RPG since yeah. 1974. So it's, you know, it's, yeah. to, to, to do that well is something to be commended on. Explain it so a new GM could pick up the book, read the book, and run a game that you'd recognize as Pathfinder 2nd Edition from the book is, yeah, I reckon you could do that. And also, like, the GMing advice, it's got, like, the latest things on, like, veils, lines of veils, X cards. It's got all that hard-baked in, and it's like, yeah, this is... This is a real contender of a cold rule book. I'm so impressed by it. Well, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually, I do have an answer, and it's a boring okay, answer, yeah. but it is an answer. Is I my favorite thing about it is the math. <laughs> I've had long <laughs> discussions <laughs> with. No, it's true because the game, the bones of the game. I've had long discussions with this with Param and uh, Mark Steifer, uh, who did a lot of the math. The math is the bones. The math, the yeah. it's the basis for the entire game. And if you think yeah. about all the problems with other systems, it's always, you know, they, they, they it's disguised as something else, but it's really the math. It's really what's behind the rolling. And the math in Pathfinder Second Edition, so far, has been really mm. well done. And the one thing I want to keep saying is that if once you're trained in something, you automatically level up your ability just by leveling up. You don't have to put more points. If, like, if you're trained in a longsword, 
Mm -hmm. Every time you level, you get a plus one to hit with that longsword forever. Mm -hmm. Now, you won't be as good as a fighter because they get a plus six versus your plus two or plus eight. So they're way better than you. But you have the math there. And the nice thing about the math is it just scales up automatically. And then you don't have to spend time on putting points into things you already put points into. This mostly mm. has to do with skills. Once you train uh, a skill, you're trained in the skill forever. So you can yep. work on other skills. You don't have to do the old, oh, I got eight points and I got to put it into the eight skills that I've done for the last five levels. Sure. It's, yeah. it's yeah. you know, that's all gone. So the only thing you're really spending time on because of the math is mm-hmm. thinking of what new things you want to do and not mm. concentrating on what old things you need to maintain. Yes. And yeah. that's a big deal with Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Mm. And I see that a lot. I mean, I'm a GM. I don't really run characters. But my, mm. my people are playing characters, my, my uh, players. They're always talking about what they want to do. They're not talking yeah. about what they had to do to keep things maintained. They're mm. always looking at what cool new things I can pick. And I think that's mm-hmm. a good sign right there is that they're only looking forward and never backwards. Yeah. No, I agree. I, my, uh, my Pathfinder 2E game, I'm, I'm playing, not running it. And I'm playing, uh, uh, he's a goblin. He's called Ronak the Barbarian. He's a wizard. And Of course. Um, <laughs> of course. What, 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 what I have found is, yeah, uh, leveling up is definitely about getting new stuff rather than doing a load of bookkeeping to make sure your old stuff is up to date which I found yeah, a lot more interesting. I've, I've enjoyed that a lot more. And, and a lot of people love the way that first edition Pathfinder worked, and I'm, I, I still love first edition Pathfinder. I am not in any way slamming it. But it's also still there, right? If you're going to do a second edition of a game, there is definitely an argument to be made that what you should do is say, well, what are the problems that we saw that we think held this game back, and how do we fix them? So how do we make a new game? Mm. Even when it comes to the math, my favorite part about the math is not that you don't have to work on uh, keeping things even, because I'm someone who liked having skill points and being able to say, well, my character, I can now do the DC 10 thing I wanted, so now I will move on at being mediocre in a second thing and a third thing. And that's something that you can't really do uh, in second edition. But what I do Mm. love about the math is that the different systems use the same math. One of the things I saw uh, for third-party OGL stuff all the time uh, for 3rd Edition and 3.5 were people who had tried to do things like say, well, you can make this skill check instead of this attack roll. Mm -hmm. Well, skill checks and attack rolls don't scale at the same speed. Uh, Same with saving throws in in 1st Edition and 3.0. They don't scale at the same speed. But everything scales at the same speed in this game. So you could say, hey, you are playing uh, a bard sword dancer, and you have a sword dance ability that if you use one action to sing, you as a second action, you can use your perform check to make an attack roll. Those bonuses are exactly the same. So you can your numbers will be the same that someone else could have gotten for their mm. attack. You'll be much better at it than you would be at a normal sword check, but that's mm. that's a thing you can balance. So if you want your skill checks and your saving throws and your attack rolls to interact with each other, you can do that. And, and I think that opens up game mechanical opportunities that there's no good way to do in first edition. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm still Loki in love with the bulk and the carrying rules. Yes. It's just the most elegant implementation. It's really easy. It's like, how much does the pearl on my? I don't know. Probably bulk too, because it's really awkward to carry. 
some guy tries to say, oh, yes, yes, I'm bringing along a ladder. I'm like, you can do that, but it's probably going to be a bulk free because ladders are really awkward to carry around. <laughs> yeah, we used a, a, a bulk system was something that the Pathfinder design team came up for Starfinder. Uh, and so we had the advantage of putting it together for Starfinder. And then they, they obviously looked at it, refined it, and, and applied it to how they wanted to work in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Yeah. Uh, when we put out Starfinder, one of the things a few people told us was, I hate the bulk system. Why? Because yeah. the GM actually uses it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Bold and comfort yeah. systems, most people just totally ignored. But the bolt system is simple enough that, that most people are actually using it. Yeah, exactly. Like it gets enforced at character creation, but then after that, it's like everyone's having to like. I mean, especially in the UK, where there's a lot of people who are young enough that actually we don't use pounds and ounces because why would we? Uh, we use kilograms, so like it's not an intuitive thing. Like. How much does somebody weigh in pounds? Oh, we don't even know that because often we use stone instead. But yeah, now, I weigh like, in pounds. <laughs> <Just saying. laughs> well, well, that's good for you, Russ. But like, you know, you're probably not most people. But, but how, much, how much bulk are you, Russ? That's the real question. <laughs> oh, that is a good question. I have absolutely oh, oh, no oh, idea. But Russ is a big creature. He's bulk I'm six. Not... I know that's right off my head. Exactly. So there you go. Oh, yeah. There you go. Bitch bosh. And like, yeah, we, we 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 can work out work out things, and that's important for things like. Do, can I pick up this guy and run off with him? Probably not because of what you're already carrying, but you can definitely drag them, and that's like, yeah, I've got a defensive answer. Or maybe, actually, you're you're a really strong barbarian. You're not carrying anything. Yeah, of course you can pick him up and run off with him. Hmm, Why not? Owen, here. It's like, yeah. Owen, you'll like this. Uh, the bulk system is so successful that Vanessa, when she made her level 2 character, actually had to take the feat I forgot what it's called. That gives you like an extra three bulk carrying capacity because she uh -huh. has so many weapons. Her fighter has so much armor and so many weapons. She actually had to take a feat to carry more, which I don't think has ever <laughs> happened in the history of role playing games before. Uh, now, so that, that's that, is, that, that shows you it part. works. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it works because she has too much stuff, and she had to she had to do something about it because it's easy to call out. So, yeah, the bulk system's great. I love the bulk system. Yeah, I, I've inflicted it on at least three, four sets of players now. And they're like, oh, why do we have to do this? I'm like, let's just roll with it. And then they're, they're actually enjoying it because it's not something where they have to sit down and count up every single thing. It's like, less than a pound, don't care. One of the, okay. the pounds, less than five. Yeah, it's like, and then, yeah, just so easy to use. So really, we're, really. We're, we're coming up on Sorry, time now. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I kind of wanted to touch on another couple of things. Owen, your current uh, big project is your 52 in 52. You mentioned that when when you last came on, and that was before it launched. Yep. But it's, uh, it's well underway now. Can you talk a bit about how that's going? Yeah. Um, so 52 and 52, uh, which is available at the Open Gaming Store, um, or if you go to any of my social media, I'm sure I will point to it. Uh, it's a subscription program where you get a PDF a week, every week for all of 2020. And if you buy in now, you get all the PDFs we've already done. So we're a quarter of the way through. Every PDF is available in Pathfinder 1st Edition and 2nd Edition and Starfinder and 5e, and you get all of those automatically. Um, and it has been fascinating. I have now designed uh, character classes in all four systems, the same character class four ways. Uh, I've done rules subsystems in all four classes. I've done magic items in, in all four game systems. Um, so it's interesting. I've got a lot of people who are saying, oh, well, I'm only buying this because it's Pathfinder First Edition, or I'm only buying it because it's 5e. But I've also had a few people say, oh, I love buying this, and then I'll see how you take the same concept 
mm. and apply it to the different game systems. And that helps me when I am trying to say, if, if you're a first edition Pathfinder fan and your group is moving to second edition, you can see how like the Runecaster class handles the same questions in two different game True. systems. Yeah. So that's yeah. been an interesting piece of feedback we've gotten. Um, and it's a brutal way to master the differences between different game systems as a, as a writer and creator. Uh, but it's an effective one. There are things about how the game systems work, like what I was just saying about how in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, you can have the different types of rules interact with each other. You can have skills and saving throws interact with each other that you can't do in others. I noticed that because I was designing for these different systems. Mm. Uh, the way that, that crafting items, that you creating things works in the different systems is fascinating to see when you're reading through the, the Dungeon Master's Guild versus the player, Dungeon Master's Guide versus the Player's Handbook for 5e, for example, then compare that to Starfinder, and then compare all of that to the giant herky mess that is first edition Pathfinder mm. uh, for, for crafting specifically. So it's been going really well. Um, sales obviously have slowed. That's no shock given the current uh, world press. But uh, it's still there. Uh, we're still putting it out. We're, we're, we have a free catalog that tells you what every product will be. Uh, and you can find that on the Open Gaming Store or on, uh, on one bookshelf. Uh, just look for 52-in-52. And I think it's going real well. I really appreciate the feedback. There's a Fans of 52 and 52 Facebook group now where people can directly interact with me and ask questions. There have been uh, some other creators have come out and done expansion material uh one of uh, the people i work with uh she really liked i believe it was specifically the runecaster and she started doing additional add-on material that she posted on that facebook group fans of so uh plus if you want to help me get through the pandemic and the downturn in gaming there are few ways as good as either boosting 52 and 52 to your friends convince them to buy it or just pick up a subscription yourself Hmm. Well, as our trail seeker winds down in the summer, we'll we'll, uh, we'll send. Well, we'll see if we can send some of those people your way too, because they'll be looking for they'll be looking for a replacement for weekly Pathfinder Second Edition stuff. Absolutely. Okay. So thank you, thank you both for coming. Oh. It's been an absolute pleasure, and oh, yeah. you are both welcome back at any time. And Owen, I'm sure you're going to have more news for us later in the yeah. year, and perhaps you could come on and talk a bit more about RBG Superstar, you know, later when you get into the judging phase, Stephen. Yes, and yeah. in fact, if you want to be a judge, Russ, it's open. If you want to do it again, you said you did it once in the hey. past. You can do it I, I could time. do it though. I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not a Pathfinder Two mechanics master. I'm playing it. I haven't run it but or the, designed the, for it. The mechanics really won't matter because the system will get those right automatically. Right. So what you'll be looking for is interesting ideas and good writing. Sure. Yeah, okay. that's the yeah, best sure, flavor. In that case, I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I gotta say, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a freelancer or not or a budding rpg designer like getting getting in on this could well be the thing that you need to like really make a name for yourself because it's going to be big and it's going to be a lot of people hearing about it and be able to say yeah actually uh, I, I was finalist on rpg superstar he's gonna have a cachet yeah and not only that right. the prizes you there's real prizes like you actually yeah. like people have been not Five even talking dollars. about that there's money yeah. there's t-shirts yeah. there's actually uh, being in the book there's your name yeah. there's these cool yeah. medals there's a lot of cool stuff I mean, we haven't yeah. even touched on that but you know uh, nobody's asking you to work for exposure yeah there's some actual like yeah yeah yeah, it's, uh, yeah we're not trying to take yeah. advantage of everyone we're actually even paying a fair wage if you were doing this for a freelancer 
we're mm-hmm. paying. I worked with Owen on this to make sure that you're getting paid what a starting uh, RPG writer would get. So you're going to get at bare minimum the average starting wage for the lowest tier. And then obviously, if you make it to the top, you get a lot more per week. Yeah, that's a lot more money. Than a lot more money than a lot more. Uh, uh, but yeah. you know, but that, my that, that's what you get when you win. Alright then, so thank you both for coming on Uh, Next week we've got Matt Corley back on the show That'll be fun But until then, it's goodbye from me, Russ Uh, Goodbye from me, Pete's Coffee from the Southampton Hills Roll Players That's it for me, Owen Casey Stevens And that's it for me, Stephen Glicker from Roll for Combat and RPGSuperstar.com Lovely, thank you very much Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash Morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here.